The Fresh Expressions Podcast Season 3 is here. For over two decades, the worldwide Fresh Expressions movement has helped inspire and equip leaders to start thousands of new faith communities in homes, community centers, dog parks, tattoo parlors, cafes, and other unexpected places. In Season 3, brought to you by FX Connect, you'll hear practical guidance for starting something new from leaders like Joe Saxton, Todd Bolsinger, Deb Hirsch, David Fitch, and more. Visit freshexpressions.com slash podcast to listen back to previous podcasts and subscribe to receive every new episode when it drops. Visit fxconnectus.org to join an online community of church leaders reaching new people in new places and access our entire library of practical and inspiring training materials. Thanks for joining us for episode two of the Rural Renewal Podcast. Um, we are excited to have you here with us. And this is a podcast that is meant to uh, talk about rural ministry, interview people who are in uh, rural churches about their experiences or people who are doing research on rural churches or denominational leaders who are, are this this week, particularly denominational leaders who, who work in rural, uh, work with rural churches. Um, so uh, why are why are we doing this podcast, Kathleen? Uh- so I'm Kathleen and this is my <laughs> husband, Chris. Oh and, yeah, you should uh, know who I am. Uh, and we, uh, we love the rural church. Uh, we serve in a rural church uh, and we've been here for 13 years in Southern Vermont. And so we are very excited to be interviewing all sorts of different people to um, encourage rural pastors and lay leaders uh, in the ministry that God has called them to. And so we're going to do that. For the next few weeks. Yes. And uh, Kathleen works for Fresh Expressions. Um, and so uh, one of the things Fresh Expressions is doing this year is they have a rural initiative and they're putting on a rural revival summit. Is that what it's called? Yes. Uh, I don't work for Fresh Expressions, so I don't know the terminology quite as well, although I hear about it as I'm married to someone else. But uh, yes, uh, Fresh Expressions is putting on a rural renewal summit, which is an online summit uh, later on in April. And uh, there's certainly you'll hear details about that later on in the podcast. But um, it is, this is one of the ways to kind of start that conversation. Um, hopefully bringing people together who serve in rural contexts to grow together, to brainstorm together, to figure out ways they can be creative in ministry together, uh, to better serve their, their locations. So, uh, so that's why we're here. That's what we're endeavoring to do. If you haven't listened to our first episode, you should do that. Uh, yeah. Who did we talk to in our first episode? Kathy? We talked to Alan Stanton. He wrote a book about rural church. So, yes. Uh, I would Highly recommend if you haven't listened to it already to to listen to, give it a listen to after this episode. Yeah, the conversation was really helpful. I, I learned a lot from it. I learned a lot from the book as well, and uh, I would just encourage you to go ahead and listen to that um, because I think you'll be able to take something of uh, applying to your own rural context of ministry, whether you're a pastor or in leadership in a church. Yeah, definitely. Okay, um, so uh, one of the things that we're trying to let you do as we begin each uh, podcast is get to know Kathleen and I a little bit better, um, since we're going to be navigating through the interviews as well. Um, so uh, one of the things, Kathleen, that you are really into and have gotten really into in the last few years is sourdough bread. Um, first of all, a brief description of how you got into doing sourdough bread and perhaps the story of a, a time that, that really uh, became a benefit to your ministry here recently. Um, so I started baking 
nearly five years ago. Well, I've baked bread before, but not sourdough bread. And uh, I think it was closer to six years ago. I had found these beautiful pictures of loaves of bread. And I remember telling one of my friends, I want to do that. And so it took me a while to figure out what that meant. Uh, (laughs) But a year later, I started baking bread and um, with my trusty sourdough starter. His name is Artie. And uh, we've I've I make bread for all sorts of people. And and it's just been a really wonderful connection point to um, what God is doing uh, in my ministry, in my community. but especially after the, the world kind of shut down three years ago, I had a lot of people who reached out to me and they were like, I want to make sourdough bread. Like, how do I start? And I didn't have anybody to to ask those questions to. So I love answering questions and, and helping people. So um, I was going to say, it, as someone married to somebody who makes that, that's not <laughs> a bad gig. Um, I, the, I would say the only thing about it is, and those there's probably not that many of you out there who, who are passionate about sourdough. But if you are, um, or if you're married to somebody who is, you'll know that the person who makes the sourdough is really excited about how it looks and how many bubbles are inside called crumb. I actually know uh, now. Uh, but uh, one of the things that they don't want you to do is to eat the bread while it's still warm. No. Me and the kids sometimes <laughs> overrule the baker in the house. Uh, and we do that anyway, but, uh, yeah, uh, sour, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the other, the other thing our, our kids are pretty, uh, have learned over the years that they have to ask who the loaf of bread is for before digging in, because true. sometimes like the Holy spirit has just placed on my heart, someone that needs a loaf of bread. And, and, and it's, uh, sad when it gets cut into, and then I have to make another bread, the loaf of I bread. I mean, sad is maybe the wrong, uh, <laughs> I don't know how sad, I mean, it's more work. That's no, true. I just said, uh, so, <laughs> so people reach out to me, uh, pretty frequently, uh, about their questions about all things sourdough. And, uh, somehow, uh, one of my friends, she, uh, she, she reached out she's like, I have some sourdough, um, but I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? And I was like, Oh, absolutely. So I, I, we chatted for a few minutes and I was like, okay, we, you need to make sure you have flour that's not bleached. You know, there's a few basics that you need to do. And so, um, I was like, gather your things and then we'll get together. So then like a week later, after she had gotten all the things that she needed, we, uh, throughout the day we zoomed, um, and made a loaf of bread together. And it was it was so much fun. Like it gave us an opportunity to connect with one another. And it gave us an opportunity um, to do an activity together when it's kind of sometimes it's hard because when you live in a rural area, especially in the winter in the north, trying to connect in person is can be a struggle. So um, it's just a beautiful way that we can connect. And so we made a loaf of bread. We each made a loaf of bread throughout the day. And then in the evening we baked our bread. And, um, I was like, you got to make sure you, you send me some pictures and we celebrated. And, and it was really great opportunity to connect in a way that we probably wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and so those are the types of things that I do, um, pretty frequently with my bread. Yeah. Um, it's certainly become a, a huge part of your ministry here. I, People in town, uh, certainly people at church are often getting loaves of bread, but also people in town. If you're one of my kids, teach or our, my kids, our kids <laughs> teachers, um, uh, it's one of the one of the benefits you get of having one of the blacky kids at your house uh, for or at your house in your classroom for the year. 
uh, you get lots of sourdough, but so do lots of other. Anyways, uh, Kathleen does an amazing job with it. It's an amazing ministry to watch. Uh, and a good reminder to me that um, sometimes just taking something that you're doing for fun and because you just did something to find something to do, you found it really as a spiritual discipline at times, to, mm-hmm. like, just the process of making the bread, um, that you can use that then to, to find ways to connect others with the gospel. And, uh, and that's just a really cool stuff. Um, I try to do some of that kind of stuff too. Um, so yeah, yeah, tell us about your your weather endeavors. Yeah, so uh, for undergraduate school, before my, before God called me to be a pastor, um, or maybe he had started to call me to be a pastor, but I was ignoring, um, which is uh, maybe not all that uncommon story for those of us who do end up in the ministry. But um, uh, I, I went, went to undergraduate school originally to be a uh, meteorologist, to be a weather person, um, probably not to be a TV meteorologist. That wasn't really the plan, but to do either research or to, to go on and work for the National Weather Service or something like that. Um, and so uh, I did that for undergraduate school, um, did a little bit of work in that field uh, right after school ended. And then um, then really uh, relatively soon after that, um, uh, we, we got married relatively soon after that and, uh, and really started to feel called to ministry. Um, so kind of left that part of life behind or so I thought. Um, but when you move to a rural area, um, one of the things as a, and, and you know something about meteorology, one of the things that's just a reality is, particularly in our rural area, we're far away from any, we're pretty disconnected from any of the local TV stations that would uh, would uh, give information out about weather and things like that. So we're kind of an ignored corner of the state of Vermont. And so uh, I started a Facebook page, uh, it's the West River Weather Guy, um, and we live right near the West River, which is why that's the name. And uh, it started as a Facebook page. It's actually mostly become a YouTube channel where uh, I do a couple of forecasts a week. And certainly when the weather is interesting, which uh, it's March here in as we're recording this today. And uh, that's a common time for things to be very busy weather-wise. We actually have a big storm potentially coming in the next couple of days, which means I've been as fast as possible uh, looking at weather maps and things like that, trying to forecast. Um, I say all that because it, it is a connection point for me. Um, it's a natural one where I went to undergraduate school for it. And I love to talk about it. Um, but I, I've definitely been to, I've, I've done a funeral service uh, multiple times. I've done funeral services and had people come up to me afterwards and say, I didn't know the West River weather guy was a, pa-. I mean, I do talk about it on the channel sometimes, but <laughs> I didn't know you, that you, that you were the West River weather guy. Or um, one time, one of the very, I used to just do text on Facebook. Um, this is kind of a funny story. Um, and uh, we had a pastor friend of ours who lives, uh, he's now retired, but uh, lives uh, probably about uh, 40 miles south of us or so in a, in a small town. And uh, he had been, he had followed my Facebook page for quite a while. Um, and uh, I did a Facebook live. Um, this was several years ago uh, the, for the first time. And I get in the comment section. One of the first comments from, from a section was from a guy named John. And he's like, Chris, I didn't know you were the West River weather guy, <laughs> uh, even though I had known John at ministry for a long time because it just had never come up. So uh, you know, finding those little fun ways to communicate with uh, or to connect with other people, do the stuff that comes naturally to you. Um, you know, whether it's baking bread or uh, forecasting. Being the, being the forecasting. I, again, it, that's pretty highly specific, but yeah, I mean, find the stuff that you love to do and find ways to connect about it. Um, okay. Uh, so each week we're going to give you a way to know that you have found your way to the right podcast. So, Chris, um, I'm going to ask you how long it takes to do certain things. Uh, how, uh, if you know that you live in a rural context, if it's been, it takes more than 15 minutes to do these things. So uh, how long do you have to drive to get to the nearest traffic light? Uh, so we have to drive down the mountain, essentially to the nearest traffic light and actually either direction you go. It's a, well, probably one is a little faster, um, but it's a good 20 to 25 minutes. 
20 yeah. minutes. Probably. We have a flashing light in town, but that's we do. It's true. That's and, it. and you could live in a, in a town that had a, had a, had a stoplight. That yeah. was rural. But, yeah. But Not ours, here. Um, how long does it take to get to a Walmart? <laughs> uh, Walmart. Uh, it's, it's a good 45 minutes to Walmart. For yeah. us. Um, and when I talk to people who live in rural places often, you know, if it's, if it's, Half an hour, 45 minutes, you probably live in a rural spot. Yeah. yeah. Um, how long does it take to get the mail? Uh, the mail. From well, the post office. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, first of all, uh, most people who live in rural places have uh, a mailbox. We don't. Um, uh, plows have a tendency to hit them. And also, we just uh, we got a P.O. box when we first got here. And um, I can walk to the mailbox in, or to the post office in about three minutes, four minutes from our house. It's mm-hmm. right down the hill. Um, uh, but it usually takes me... I'm lucky if I'm out of there in 15, 20 minutes because uh, inevitably I'm going to see like four people that I know who want to chit chat. Um, and actually uh, some of our interviews talk a little bit about that kind of thing. Rural pastoring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Yeah. I think that was it for today yeah. on those things. Um, today we are talking with Leah. We're actually talking to two denominational leaders today. And the first person we're talking to is Leah. Kitty Gregory, um, and uh, she is in Central Texas, so quite a ways from. Where yeah, I was going to say she's certainly in a rural spot. Um, kind of uh, at least when I looked on the map, it seemed to me like it was about halfway between Houston and Dallas. Hopefully, I'm not uh, butchering the location there, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's what it looked like. And uh, she certainly has uh, both served as a pastor in rural context, but also certainly served as, as uh, denominational um, leadership in a rural context, and so has lots of experience. So, Chris, uh, can you tell me one thing that you learned from the interview? Um, uh, We talked a little bit about um, how uh, when you go to a conference or you read books, they're often uh, not and and you have to figure out a way to contextualize them uh, to rural contexts. I thought uh, we asked her that question and I thought her answer was really helpful in that she said, you know, usually a book or even an idea that you get at a conference is written for or talked about for an ideal situation where you have uh, all the finances you could need to do it, all the um, all the uh, help that you could need, all those kinds of things. And that um, one, no church serves in that kind of ideal situation, right? You can you could be at a big uh, programmatic church, and that wouldn't be the case uh, in a, in a more suburban area. But it's all it's, I think particularly true in rural areas that you kind of have to say, okay, what 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 is this thing trying to accomplish, and is there a way we can do a version of it? Um, that makes sense in our context with the resources that we have, uh, the financial limitations and also some of the uh, personnel kind of limitations and even, you know, just the time, um, oftentimes, uh, sing, uh, solo pastor. What are, what are some of the ways we can make this happen? Something similar to that. That yeah. was really helpful. Definitely. I, I completely agree. So b- before we, uh, keep talking, we'll, uh, keep talking with Leah. Definitely. We are back today uh, talking to Leah. And uh, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. My name is Leah Hitty Gregory, and I am the president pro tem in the newly formed Global Methodist Church in the Mid-Texas Conference. So we're sort of right in the smack dab middle of Texas. So we have lots of rural areas uh, that we work with, as well as several major metropolitan areas. 
Great. Now, uh, it's it's great to talk to you. Um, we're, uh, we serve in uh, rural Vermont, and uh, obviously rural Texas and rural Vermont share some characteristics and also certainly have some differences. So uh, I think this is uh, great for, for, for other rural pastors and people to think about uh, uh, how, how these things work together. So um, Now, what do you see as God's specific mission for your particular context? So um, as we come online as the Global Methodist Church, um, in our context, um, and it really doesn't matter the denomination, I don't believe. I believe our context is, is to reach as many people for Jesus Christ as we possibly mm. can and to help them to grow deeply in love with the Lord and to uh, learn to trust and to allow themselves to be transformed into His likeness. Um, and so I, I have a deep conviction that every corner of God's kingdom has the ability to be vibrant and to grow. And it doesn't matter if it's in urban America, or if it's in suburban America, or if it's in rural America, um, we all have work to do, and God has entrusted a corner of a kingdom of His kingdom to us, and so we have to be responsive to that call. Mm, I really like uh, what you're saying there about uh, thinking about our particular context, there, our, our own place. And I think you know, a rural. One thing that I feel like is uh, pretty uh, universal about rural places is the sense that most people have a pretty strong sense of the place they are um, when you're rural. Um, even if they're not a person who was born and lived there for many generations, as some of the people who live in our town are, but even people who just kind of are here for a few years, you get a sense that that each each little community does have a bit of its own flavor, and and that uh, and so as the church to be a, a place where we're connecting with that and making and finding the ways that that Jesus speaks into that and the gospel speaks right. into that um, is That's really right. important. Yeah. Uh, when you read ministry books or you attend conferences, what are some of the challenges you face? trying to apply understanding to an often uh, much different context? So for me, um, oftentimes ministry books um, set up an ideal when none of us um, pastor in an ideal situation. We all have things mm -hmm. that stretch us and, and grow us and that um, can't be nicely put into pages of a book, but rather needs mm. to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so for me, oftentimes when I read, um, it's often people who have significantly more resources than most rural congregations have. Mm. Uh, they have more people. They have longer tenured people. Um, mm. There are some, some things, at least in mid-America, that are very true about rural congregations. Um, there is a lot of transient uh, folks who move in for a year or two years because uh, housing is often lower costing. Mm. And so if they get to a place, they might move back home to a family farm or something like that, get back on their feet and then and then they leave again. Um, there's also all kinds of drug use and drug abuse mm -hmm. and all kinds of organized crime that you would not expect to be occurring in rural America. Um, there are those who have been in the community for hundreds of years and there are newcomers and there are bridges to divide. I mean, to, to build <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, and so um, sometimes the ministry books are set up for more metropolitan areas. And they also stress this concept of excellence. And I am anti-excellence in ministry. I know that sounds, you know, 
counterintuitive. But so many times mm-hmm. in when I was pastoring rural churches and I've heard other rural pastors who say, well, I, I can't perform at this level or our church can't offer mm-hmm. music at that level. And so they kind of get discouraged and they give up when in actuality mm-hmm. it should be done with a pure heart. Um, it, mm-hmm. our, our intentions and our, and our base <clears throat> should be given everything that we have. And rather than trying to hit a certain quality standard, it should be a, a certain heart standard. And so for me mm-hmm. in reading those books and things like that, sometimes those are the things that, that really challenge me. It's not really necessarily speaking to, to those needs. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, that's uh, we live uh, certainly in a place where that where where there's there is a transient population to an extent as well. And we're in kind of ski country, so there's a there's two big or several big ski areas right nearby us. And uh, one of the things that happened during the pandemic was lots of people moved uh, to their ski homes because it's a lot easier to. to Vermont's a nice place to spend uh, during a global pandemic, sure. and so. One of the challenges with that was one, there is the divide is certainly there. We completely, uh, and I think that's probably pretty universal. The rural areas of those challenges of of uh, of, of the people who've been there for a long time and people who kind of come in, and then some of the uh, as people moved to town from often more urban or, or suburban areas, uh, they uh, they 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 did not realize some of the drug and kind of issues and, and that you, that you're you're speaking about that are uh, I think. People sometimes from outside rural areas have kind of an idealistic view of, of rural areas as as super safe and super, and they sometimes are, but they are also full of all the kinds of same problems uh, that uh, many of our uh, more metropolitan areas are. And so, yeah. absolutely, it's a small um, microcosm of what's elsewhere. A hundred percent. Oh, absolutely, yeah, exactly. absolutely. Um, so. Uh, you are very familiar with rural churches. What are some unique challenges that you think rural ministries face? So um, first and foremost is getting pastors who are willing to come in uh, to a rural Mm -hmm. congregation, fall in love with them and want to stay. Um, Mm -hmm. When a pastor chooses to do that, when they choose to say, you know what, this is where God has planted me and this is where I want to give my life and and I want to change this community. I have seen... communities um, completely be changed. We have a a congregation here in Central Texas um, in a town of about 2,700. When the pastor went, they were running about 50. Um, She has been there for seven years now, and they're running over 250. Mm -hmm. And it's simply because that church has poured into the community, and she did not see this church as a stepping stone or looked mm-hmm. at it as for what was next, um, but rather said, you know what, I'm going to invest everything I have uh, in, mm-hmm. in being here. And so I think one of the hard things is that um, the, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And mm-hmm. we need God to raise up pastors who are passionate about serving in rural communities and helping to create um, just um, deep community places where people can feel loved and know his grace um, in the midst of all of that other stuff we were talking about a while ago Um, and where Mm -hmm. people can come together and knock off each other's rough edges. You know, the church is is a gift to us and it's because we can't do this alone. And, and we need to have, we need to have the, the people who are there for weekends and the people who live there all the time and the, the people who are, 
are needing to get back up on their feet and are financially struggling. And, and those, especially in Texas that are migrant workers, we need a place where all of those folks can come together and realize that we are all the same at the foot of the cross and that Mm. we are all loved by Christ and that Christ is seeking um, for us to know a different way of being uh, than what Mm. the world has to offer and what our Mm. communities have to offer. Yeah. that Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's, (laughs) As as people, um, as we were speaking a little bit before we started here, I'm just saying that you know we feel Kathleen and I feel very called to our our local context here, and um, I and as we've gained time here, how valuable it is to to feel that, and we've definitely had some mentors we uh, of ours who kind of uh, helped us see the value of that, and and sir, uh, that there is this a feeling that this is where God has has us, and and and, and or where where God has you, and and to to. Uh, we have a good friend who will often say, um, you know, uh, grow where you're planted, right? Uh, you know, uh, and right. uh, find find out what God is, is calling you to do in the, in the spot that you just happen to be. And uh, yeah, I'm not looking for the next thing or, or anything like that, but just finding the way to serve in the way God's calling you to in the place that you're at at the moment. Another challenge that I um, often faced when I was pastoring rural congregations is you would have people come in who would move into the community because of financial distress. From where they've come, maybe they've lost their job or something. They can move in. At that time, you could get a, a three-bedroom, one-bath house for like two hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars a month, inexpensive rent. They could they would move there, but the problem was once their car broke down, they would have to drive 30, 40 miles to yeah. find some place with a job. There was no social services other than that local church. Um, mm-hmm. There was nobody to help with the gas bill except for the Methodist church or the Baptist church or the church of Christ. Um, mm-hmm. Very few resources in that community. And so I, I think that is something that um, rural congregations just have to be very sensitive to and and perhaps build their budgets around realizing that they have to meet the need of, of those that are um, are in need in their very community and not act as if they don't exist or they're not there. Um, Mm. We had a ministry where we helped people with their, their uh, food and with uh, other kinds of things. And I had this woman come to me one day and she said, why can't we bring people? Why are we bringing all these poor people to our church? Why can't we bring people like us to our church? And I said, cause they already Mm -hmm. go to the Baptist church. (laughs) (laughs) that's not who god has put in our path to bring into our church Mm -hmm. and and the opposite that the the thing that would follow out of that is we would help people get back on their feet we would get them some job training we would help them find positions in the next uh town over they'd get on their feet and then they would move closer to their jobs and mm-hmm, so yeah. we would have p- folks for maybe two to four years and then they would be gone. And then you would start mm-hmm. over again with somebody new. And sometimes as rural pastors, that's exhausting. Like you've poured into yeah, this yeah. discipleship, you've helped meet their immediate needs. You've poured into helping them to know Christ. And then what I had to realize that almost every one of those people got plugged into a church in their new area. Thanks mm-hmm. to the gift of mm-hmm. Facebook, you can follow that and you can find that out. And so yeah. perhaps yeah. we're, Sometimes rural ministry is for a season um, in someone's life, not the pastor's life, but the people's lives. And mm-hmm. I th- think there's value to that, too. And we just need to remember that we're called to love the sojourner. And sometimes those people mm-hmm. are just sojourners mm-hmm. through our communities. Yeah, uh, we actually, it's funny, we just came back. Um, we did, a, we're, we're blessed to be able to do a wedding for um, a, a young man who had come and 
spent that him and a friend of his had come and spent a winter at our church doing some uh, helping with some ministry at a local ski area. And uh, they had spent the winter here um, about almost 10 years ago now, and then uh, kind of moved on with their lives as, as they were both 19 and 20, I think at the time when they were here. And uh, we had obviously kept some touch with them, but to go and actually got to see both of them at this wedding and to, to see and be able to share also with our congregation, the impact that that six to eight months, one of them was here right. for a couple of years, but the other one was just six to eight months and how it really had, had been a significant part of their faith um, and where God had brought them in their lives. Um, one of them, the career he has now is basically a result of stuff he had done in town here. And yeah, it was just really, uh, really good stuff. And, but it is, it can be very tiring and frustrating sometimes when you see that happen and you, you get so excited about where somebody's going and getting in their life. And then they, they inevitably, not inevitably, but oftentimes move on and, and, and finding peace within being like, nope, this is the role God has called us to in their life. Being okay with that is a, and seeing uh, that as a gift. To the kingdom of yeah, God, yeah, exactly, hundred percent, and yeah. a gift to us that God's allowing us to experience that. So, yeah, 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 definitely. And I think it went both ways. You know, the some of the, some of the music that he brought to our congregation, people still talk about. Which they do, yeah. And it was it wasn't like anything new. It was like older older music that uh, they just never heard before. And and uh, what a gift that is yeah. as well. Um, for our congregation, um, and they still those who are here when they were here. Uh, you know, it was a really good experience for them as well. So, um, so we've talked about some of the challenges. What are some strengths that you, uh, see, uh, that's different with rural churches? Resilience. So, um, having served as a district superintendent, um, in the United Methodist church and now as a president pro tem, um, there are some churches you couldn't kill with a stick. Because <laughs> they are resilient. They can fix anything with duct tape and barbed wire. They can stretch a dollar further than mm. you could ever imagine. <laughs> they are excellent stewards. I mean, I, we're laughing about mm. it, but they are excellent stewards of what God has given to them. And at the same time, they are so incredibly generous. If mm. there is a fire, um, or a tornado or some type of natural disaster or, um, you know, a tragic death of some sort, you watch that church and it doesn't have to be somebody that's a part of their church. That church will descend upon mm-hmm. them, um, and just offer God's grace and God's love and, and presence, um, to those families. And so there's this generosity and this great stewardship. And then there's sort of that stiff upper lip of we will persevere. We will survive through this. I, you know, where we're at, we have a lot of crops, you know, we have cotton crops, um, we have maize, we have all kinds of things. And they know what it's like to have a year where there's a drought Mm. and they have to plan ahead. And they have to, they have to be okay. And then they also know the years when there is plenty that, that they're Jubilee years and that they celebrate. And so um, I guess a strength of that is, you know, as agriculturally based as the scriptures are, I think there are parts of scripture that they get that those Mm. of us who are born and raised in the city do not understand. And Mm. so um, I, I think there is a tremendous amount of strength um, that comes from those churches. Many of those people have been in churches for years. They were born and raised in that church. Their families go back for generations because their families go back for generations on the farms that are around them. Um, there's a deep commitment to the church. 
Now, while the numbers mm. are growing smaller, the commitment within those pews are are very significant. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. For yeah. that. Uh, that that's that's so good for us to hear. Uh, I think in rural context because um, sometimes it can get just hard uh, to keep on doing the things that God has called you to do. But um, but yeah, the, I think that that's really important. Yeah, and uh, I, that the uh, ability to 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 keep persevering um, through whatever is to come, uh, mm-hmm. I think is uh, probably as typical or uh, typifies often rural people in general. And I think rural churches as well, um, particularly um, when you add a little bit of gospel hope into the kind of stiff upper lip of a rural uh, life, exactly it can right. really, uh, yeah. <laughs> can really benefit <laughs> yeah, everyone. So. Right. The issue is always to open their eyes beyond those that they know. You know, and, and I'll be yeah. going back to challenges. That's always the issue is to open their eyes. But once their eyes are open, they're they're there and they're invested mm. most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I completely agree. It's, yeah. it's and oftentimes just a, a blinders kind of thing or um and but um uh uh you should say that, you know, once once they once we get to know you at all, then you're you know <laughs> it doesn't take long for us to be you're one of the fierce people we're gonna be fiercely loyal to, 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 right. to love and to do everything for. And uh, yeah, so just as long as their eyes are open to what's going on. Yeah, definitely see that. Uh, Our next question uh, is uh, discipleship in rural locations can be a real challenge. What are some successful ways you've seen rural churches meet the discipleship needs of their communities? So um, one of the things that we have struggled with here is having pastors who are bivocational and so they might be Sunday Mm -hmm. only. And so it is hard for a church who doesn't have someone to come and lead Bible study at all um, to to have some of those things. So like maybe they don't have Bible study or maybe they don't have time for fellowship or they don't have time to have an intercessory prayer group because their pastor's just not there enough. Um, And no one has laid out for them um, a, a discipleship pathway of of this is how the laity can do it on their own. During that week. And oftentimes those bivocational pastors are not trained in those areas, to be quite honest. And so they don't mm. know how to go in and set up um, that type of, of uh, situation. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, it, it, it is a challenge when you're a pastor and you have another job and you're trying to to juggle both of them and and you feel like you're not doing your best or you do like help your time. Is, is yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. that that is a real challenge. Um, now, what are some ways you've seen r- rural churches be creative in the way that they connect to the particular communities they minister in? So um, the church I talked about earlier, they got into the school district. You know, uh, you've mm-hmm. got separation of church and state, but oftentimes in rural communities, those lines are a little bit more blurred. And so they're willing to let you come in and have lunch with the kids. They're willing to allow you to, you know, they have that particular church has an after school program where they run VBS two days a week um, for the kids in the community. And so they'll have 140 to 180 kids every single week mm. come through their church. It takes wow. 25 volunteers every single week. Two days wow. a week wow. to run this vacation Bible school. It's not, vi- it's called jam, but uh, it's essentially, yeah. you know, they go through the rotations like vacation Bible school. The kids love it. Family after mm. family has come and engaged in the church. Um, there have been situations where CPS was about to take a child from a parent because of drug issues or something like that. And someone in the church has stepped up 
uh, to take that child so that the child could remain in school. Um, mm-hmm. they, they have truly just been the hands and feet of Christ in that community. And, um, in seven years, they've watched their test scores just continually grow at the, um, at the school. At the same time, they have watched the crime rate go down, like the petty crime rate and things like that go down. And the mayor will say it's because this church stepped up and took such an active role in the community. Mm. And so this is a church in a town of 2,700. This is not a big church. It's not, (laughs) it's not in a bit, you know, they're just fully invested in reaching every person in their community with Jesus Christ. They have Mm. a free Bible box out front that you can just pull up, get a Bible. Um, And at one point they were, they were getting Bibles going almost every day. And and somebody said, are they stealing our Bibles? And somebody said, how can you steal a Bible? That's the point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Same thing can happen with food pantries. Um, So, Mm. so if you do a, a nice, polite food pantry where you hand food to people, I mean, you're, you're doing good. But if you let Mm. people know that you're doing it because you love Jesus Christ and that you want to be involved in their life and how can you pray with them and how can you develop a spiritual connection, help them develop a spiritual connection with God, that's when it becomes transformative. And so Mm. churches who who go beyond just the basic food pantry, which is good. I'm not knocking a basic food pantry, but it goes in, make sure people have the resources they need. That that's key. Other thing is, um, especially in rural America, um, if we can offer parenting classes, if we can offer marriage enrichment classes, um, even if it's once a year for four weeks, um, those things go so far because they're just not available to people. Um, And I don't know how it is in Vermont, but in Texas, um, one of the rural churches that I served, there was no mental health professionals for 40 miles. Mm. And so there was no one to, to coach people or to do marriage counseling or to do those things because people couldn't afford to drive once a week to a marriage counselor 40 miles away. And so what can we do? I'm not a marriage counselor and I can't meet with everybody, but what could we do? What kind of programs could we offer to help it strengthen people's marriages? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how can you, where is the need in your community? And then how can you step up and help, help meet it? Mm-hmm. We also did a lot of, um, I, I was a career counselor for 13 years before going into ministry. And so um, we did a lot of preparing people for workforce, helping them with their mm. resumes, helping them with their job searches and things like that. The more you invest in people and you show them the love of Christ through investing in them, the more they want to invest in knowing Christ and wanting mm. to know what it is that you have to offer. Like, why are you doing this for me? Because I love Christ and I see Christ mm. in you. Yeah, that's that's uh, that sort of uh, just being there for people, finding the things that they need, and it's just so important. I'm sure that's important in any in any any ministry context you can conceive of, but certainly in in, in small towns, I, it's just uh, uh, I think there's so much we underestimate the value of just simply you know the the person who lives next door or the person we we know um, you know and and, the, and encouraging the people in our churches to, to to find find the people who are near you and find the ways you can invest in their lives right. and help. Uh, get them the things with Christ's love. You know, why are we doing this? Because Jesus has invested in our lives and he calls us to invest in the people around our lives with his love. And uh, yeah, so uh, I, I thank you so much for that. So. Um, 
And uh, I have a question for you as a um, a pastor myself, like trying to connect with God um, sometimes is a little bit of a challenge because uh, it's part of my vocation as well. Um, so I was just curious, what is one spiritual practice that you found meaningful for your faith journey? So I spend 30 minutes every day searching scripture. I know 30 minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but in my schedule, many days, it feels like a whole long time. But I spend 30 minutes studying scripture that has nothing to do with an article that I'm writing or a sermon mm. I'm preaching or anything, just laying it open before the Lord. And and um, my dad was a pastor. He'd say, um, magic eight ball. Like you, you take the scripture and you open it up and say, okay, Lord, what do you have for me today? So, mm. you know, I, I don't think it's a magic eight ball approach. That's what my dad described. <laughs> it, but that's what I do. I say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? And then I'll study mm. whatever is opened before me. Um, and then mm. I spend time reflecting like, okay, so what is God really trying to say to me through, through what I've just read? Um, mm. And for me, that for the longest time, I was like, well, I'm always in the word. So I, I don't need to study or I'm always praying to God in public. I don't need to have this prayer life. Well, no, I need that 30 minutes set aside, dedicated every day with a cup of coffee. That's just me and God and God, what do you have for mm. me today? That's great. Yeah. That, thank you. That is, yeah, I think that's great. Great. And maybe great one day for thought for all retire, it'll be an hour or two hours, but right now it's 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, well, before we uh, say goodbye, um, if our listeners want to find you online, where can they find you? That's a really good question. So if you go to midtexasgmc.org, I have a weekly newsletter that we put out. Um, and so there's always a, a, a piece there. I am not like a big blogger. I'm not like on video or doing anything like that. Um, we're just trying to help our churches um, be as vital and vibrant as they can. Uh, so we don't do a whole lot online, I'm afraid. Um, one of the things that I am deeply committed um, and convicted of is that every single church, no matter where it is located, no matter where um, or how many people worship at it, every church can be vibrant in the kingdom of God. Mm. every single church. So I, as a, as a district superintendent, I would always try to drill home uh, the scripture, Matthew 16, 13 through 18, when Jesus says, who do you say I am? And I am convinced that if I can get a church to realize that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Messiah, he is the one that's come to take away the sins of the world. And that whole church can catch hold of that they will become a vibrant church. They can't help it. And mm -hmm. I have had churches as a district superintendent. I had this one church that literally you took a county road to a gravel road to a dirt road through the cemetery and that church caught on fire. Okay. Let me just tell you, if that church can catch on fire, any church mm -hmm. can catch on fire um, uh, with the Holy Spirit. And so I just think people need to not get discouraged by their situation and realize how big our Lord is and what God wants mm -hmm. for this world. Well, thank you so much. That yeah. is, that's just very encouraging. And it's a, a good calling for all of us uh, who find ourselves, whether pastoring or just as, as, as part of a, as part of a, of, of, a, of a rural church somewhere. Well, thank so, you yeah, all thank for you your so commitment much. to the rural church, because we <laughs> need more people doing that and setting that example. So that's awesome. Thank you so much.
FX Connect is your source for friendships, resources, and inspiration for starting and sustaining fresh expressions of church. At FX Connect, you'll meet other people like you that love the established church, but are also passionate about finding new ways to bring the good news of Jesus's kingdom to new places. You'll find discussions about starting house churches or dinner churches, or reaching particular groups of people like families, backpackers, or board game fanatics. There are also resources to help established congregations launch and grow a network of fresh expressions alongside the traditional local church. You'll get access to over a decade of training materials from events, workshops, and webinars on topics ranging from digital ministry to preaching to cross-cultural intelligence. Learn from speakers like Joe Saxton, Todd Bolsinger, Deb Hirsch, David Fitch, Verlin Fosner, and more. If you are hungry to start something new for Jesus, start building relationships and accessing helpful resources when you create your free account at fxconnectus.org. So we want to thank uh, Leah for joining the podcast today and and talking to us. Um, Kathleen, what was something that you took away from that interview? Uh, the one thing that really stuck with me was uh, when she said, the more you invest in people and you show them the love of Christ in your investment, the more they'll want to invest in Christ themselves. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, I, I, one of the things I loved about Leah was her ability to to just be profound on the on the spot. Um, something I, I wish I could do more, <laughs> but yeah. no, something she was really good at. How and, about you? Uh, yeah. Um, one of the things I took away from our interview uh, was that uh, it's important to find pastoral leadership and to find, uh, that will uh, really see their the rural community that they're called into, not as a, any kind of stepping stone or anything that they're going to do for a little bit and then move on, but as a place where God has really called them to invest and get to know the people and love the people and to grow together. And uh, that's certainly something I think that we have found in our ministry. And we've uh, and so I, I, I appreciated that that word of wisdom from her. Uh, next, we're going to listen uh, to Dale Edwards. Dale is the region minister for American Baptist churches of Vermont and New Hampshire, which is, which is us. He is our, he's our regional executive. Yes. Minister. Uh, and so uh, what, why do you think Chris, this uh, interview is worth listening to? Uh, Dale's a lot of fun to talk to um, over the years. Uh, uh, he, he's known very much as a story, storyteller. He's going to tell a couple of kind of, wacky stories uh in in this interview that are just worth listening to just to reminisce about uh how kind of the, the humor but also the 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 heart of why rural ministry is kind of so helpful and uh so uh one of the things uh, that you're gonna hear about is a, a story about watering uh your neighbor's pigs when they're on vacation uh during this uh, interview which is probably not something you hear about on a podcast mm. so uh what's one thing that you learned from this uh oh on a more yeah on a more serious note um dale talks a little bit about um how uh what a pew buddy was for is in 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 one of the churches he has helped out in the past and how that helped uh make a congregation more welcoming to children so hear about that in the end yeah and i i thought it was really helpful he talked about pastors can still become part of the fiber of their communities so Mm. pastors really do have a role in rural communities and i i found that really helpful definitely this is uh This is uh, Reverend Dale Edwards.
welcome you, Dale, uh, to our podcast today. Um, Dale Edwards, can you tell us about yourself? Uh, how did you end up doing ministry in a rural location and what led you to doing what you're doing now? Um, well, first of all, I, I became a Christian at an afternoon Bible club uh, when I was nine years old. And I grew up in small-town rural New Hampshire, so it was just a natural environment to do ministry in. And I first felt a sense of call to ministry when I was about 16 years old. And that kind of formed itself up a couple of years after high school. I had gone to work in a blue-collar job and uh, then Bible college, then seminary. So it was a very natural call, even though I offered God that I'd go any place in the world for him. I ended up back home within an hour and 50-minute drive of where I grew up uh, doing rural ministry and have been here now 40 years of rural ministry in predominantly Vermont, New Hampshire, and a little bit in Massachusetts. Yeah, I love that story because it's it's not too dissimilar from Kathleen and my story where um, we uh, felt called to ministry. Um, that's sort of a winding path to getting there, but felt called to ministry and uh, ended up uh, really feeling like God was calling us back home to ministry in northern New England. And uh, and that's how we ended up in Vermont. So, uh, yeah, similar in that regard. In some ways, uh, reflecting on what you just said, it's, it's a sense that God calls us to be indigenous missionaries. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, so uh, what are you currently doing? Um, I am serving as the regional executive minister for the American Baptist Churches of Vermont, New Hampshire. I'm in my 12th year, uh, soon to be retiring this year. And I work with, at least on paper, a last time I counted, 148 churches that are predominantly rural, small town, uh, a real mix of church health, a real mix of size, uh, but predominantly small. I would say 50 or less people in church on Sunday mornings. Um, the bigger challenge is many churches aging, declining, and possibly dissolving in place. And yet I see other churches pushing ahead with creativ creativity and innovation and really stepping into the challenges. But there's some things about rural ministry that have not changed. <laughs> yeah, certainly growing up in a rural church, I, I there's plenty of stuff. Uh, that everyone, whenever I look out at our rural congregation that I say, you know, this is not that dissimilar from what I remember growing up. <laughs> So uh, one of the things I think that's a challenge for us in rural ministry is that, you know, if you go to a conference or you read a book, uh, you're never inevitably faced with uh, people who are usually ministering in a different context, either in a suburban, uh, usually probably in a suburban context, maybe in an urban context. And uh, so how have you, uh, in, through your ministry, both when you were pastoring and now as an executive minister, um, found ways to synthesize what's often you know, advice that's probably best directed at a suburban context or a different kind of context to the rural context? Okay. Well, it's a little like raising livestock. Uh, you, you say <laughs> to yourself, so what DNA have I found at this conference or in this resource? Mm. 
that I need to bring home to my herd back at my local church or back to my regional system that I work with. And some of the DNA that you discover at a national conference, if you can bring back a, excuse the cattle reference, but if you can bring back a few straws for your own herd uh, to bring some new DNA into your own mission, ministry, system, culture. So I think it was always a process of sifting. Now, sometimes the sifting was scaling down the size of the aspiration. Hmm. Um, I'm not going to walk into a typical small town, rural, certainly northern New England church and say, okay, we got a project here. We need $75,000. Can we have it together in six months? That, that just <laughs> is not going to happen. If I I walk in and say, hey, I have a $2,500 matching grant, if we can come up with another $2,500 and we can do some mission and some outreach, that's an economy of size that will work. So in some cases, it was really scaling it down to what would work in our size. Um, Rural ministry, I find in other parts of the country, is still bigger than what rural ministry looks like in a northern New England context or maybe a northeast context. Mm. Mm. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think we find whenever we travel that um, uh, that that expectations of size and obviously that's different everywhere, but uh, it uh, there are a lot of small little churches uh, in northern New England um, and the expectation is towards that. So, yeah, just figuring that out is certainly it's a challenge here, and uh, and I love the I like the analogy there that you uh, um, you have to find the straw that kind of works for your context um, at to feed your sheep or feed your yeah your your particular spot and uh, and and that you need to find ways to um, yeah just uh, place into context that that economy of scale of, of scale and size that you've got there. So uh, you've served uh, in kind of in the in this executive role what do you see as some of the biggest challenges um besides just size that you're that uh, a lot of our churches here are rural churches in north in, uh, in new england or in the northeast are facing currently okay um rural churches are not immune to the big cultural changes that are facing mm. us uh the secularization mm. of society um People with no Christian memory, never any exposure to church. I mean, I think that's a common denominator for all ministry right now. Mm -hmm. Where I think the rural ministry is unique is that in the most classic way, pastors can still become part of the fiber of their communities, Mm -hmm. which I think is less true, certainly in suburbia. Maybe a little more possible in urban settings when you have a what I call the neighborhood pastor can very much mm. look like a rural pastor. But in larger programmatic churches, uh, you don't need the skill of hanging out and visiting in the post office, <laughs> which really becomes uh, very much a building block, Those that kind of activity for making connections in your community. Uh, a rural mm. pastor in some context is still recognized as a community chaplain, mm. which is a very natural pre-ordained, pre-created bridge 
to introduce people to the gospel. And in that sense, the burden I think a rural pastor carries is sometimes for non-Christian people, especially in a secular environment, we become the first face of Christ in the fiber of our community. Mm-hmm. And I think rural pastors can can play that role, and it's building off a long history of playing that role. Now, I think in some communities that too is fading, but I think in many communities that is still very much a part of the culture, especially if you're mm. the only church in town. Um, mm. You you got to be if you if you go to the dump or the transfer station, uh, your spouse has to realize you'll be there maybe ninety minutes because inevitably you'll meet people. <laughs> That's never happened. Never, never happened with us. And inevitably, you might find some good stuff to bring home. But <laughs> you know, it's just. A, can I tell a story? We would would love a story, yes. You know, one of my favorite rural church stories was the call that I got from a parishioner. It said, hey, Dale, I hate to ask you this, but we're going away camping Memorial Day weekend, and I've asked all the neighbors, and they're going away too, but could you water my pigs while while we're gone? So (laughs) for three mornings, I went up and watered the guy's pigs. There were three pigs. And I watered them and made sure they had grain and everything. And a few months later, I was at a pastor's retreat, and I told the story about watering the pigs. And immediately, I caused a conflict within the retreat. There were about 50 <laughs> pastors there, and half the group resonated with what I said. Yeah. The other yeah. half felt I had debased the office of pastor. <laughs> and that... Uh, to water pigs was something I should not have done, that I mm-hmm. had uh, had kind of lowered the standards of being a pastor by saying yes to something. Mm-hmm. But in my rural culture, if a neighbor asked you to take care of their animals, you that's just uh, that's just what you do. You know, yep. you're going yep. away, you want me to check on the dog? You know, I'll go check on the dog. Uh, you want me to water the horse? I'll water the horse. You know, uh, <laughs> you want me to feed your pigs? I'll feed the pigs. That's just what rural people do. And uh, I immediately stepped out of this conflict and uh, let these guys and women hash it out at this retreat about whether or not I really debased the office of pastor. Um but I think for rural pastoring, those kind of relational things are key to the foundation of being a small town pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Certainly that's something um, uh, we've learned from you over the years. Well, we should have probably said at the beginning that Dale is our uh, executive minister. <laughs> yeah. we are, we are part of his region. So uh, certainly something we have learned and, uh, and uh, from you and from many others and, and something I think uh, – I like what you said about uh, uh, thinking about is it as true maybe as it was a couple generations ago, and and maybe some of it has faded. But the more that it is something well worth leaning into mm-hmm. as a rural pastor. Um, now it takes a certain mindset to do that because sometimes you go to the post office and you just want to get your mail. Um, but but um, but all but at the same time, I think being willing to say part of what God's called me to do is be here getting the mail and 
talk to somebody, even if I have something busy I've got to get to right now as well. And uh, yeah, you just have to find a way to embrace that that speed of life, I guess. And yeah, yeah uh, you know, and, and I think there's a certain uniqueness of dealing with uh, colorful local personalities that feeds into rural pastoring. I'll always remember the sometime parishioner I had, sometime Sunday morning attendee I had, who uh, got caught uh, taking a shower in the self-serve car wash. And a police <laughs> officer said to me, you got to tell him that I didn't ticket him this time, but I can't drive by the self-serve car wash and look in the bay at three in the morning and see him there without a stitch on, holding the wand over his head, soaking <laughs> up with the soap from the car wash brush. You know, where else do you have the privilege of this experience to being asked? Absolutely. Could you go talk to one of your parishioners? Tell them if I catch them taking a shower at three in the morning at the car wash, the self-serve car wash, that I'm going to have to ticket them next time. Tell him to stop doing it. Now, the police <laughs> officer knows this guy sometimes comes to my church and I'm his friend. And I really don't think the person knows Jesus. They're just eccentric. You know, they're yep. just, yeah. And in that sense, yeah, absolutely. you can find an urban pastor who relates to street mm. people having the same kind of yeah. experiences. Mm-hmm. I think where the disconnect probably is greater between rural suburban programmatic than rural urban. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, uh, I'd love to hear from you. What are some ways that you've seen rural churches be creative and how they connect to their particular communities that they minister in? Uh, very simple things. And uh, and now to give a shout out, uh, I've heard some of these things spoken about in Fresh Expressions, but some mm-hmm. churches, by the grace of God, have discovered these things on their own. Uh, yeah. I've seen churches just make their Sunday morning worship service more welcoming to children. Uh, Mm -hmm. Something as simple as the Pew Buddy. And the Pew Buddy, uh, pre-COVID, was a bookshelf with stuffed toys on it. And Mm -hmm. a child could come in and take a Pew Buddy off the pew and uh, sit with their Pew Buddy. Now, that sounds very simple, but wow, you know, you can bring your grandchild, notice I say grandchild, to church. Mm. And grandchild wants to go to church with grandma because they get to choose a pew buddy to sit with. Mm. Um, I've watched uh, the traditional hunter's breakfast now. Uh, the guys who come out for breakfast early in the morning before they go deer hunting at the church. And I've seen churches do something as simple as give away a free copy of devotions on a deer stand. Mm. And they cut the, that particular devotional comes in uh, green camo for men and pink camo for women. Now, you know, you know <laughs> people in church life and other contexts was what? You know, this is sexist, misogynist, you know. But in rural America, hey, look what you got. Um, mm. Very creative. I think there is fertile ground for the dinner church concept because small town churches have always had a history of church potlucks. Mm. Uh, The DNA is already there 
for dinner church, you just transfer it from the church fellowship hall into somebody's home. And, and that's not an advantage that large programmatic churches have. Uh, I've I've had folks in large programmatic churches talk about their after worship meal being catered. You know, the caterer comes and puts it on, and uh, you know, again, there there's the chasm, there's the disconnect. I mean, I've eaten my share of tuna casserole over the years, and then <laughs> I could still do it if my diet would allow it, and perfectly. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We had a, a business meeting yesterday, and of course, everybody showed up with food um, for their business meeting, which was delightful. I, yeah, it was delightful, um, yeah. and, uh, and and generally pretty good. Church ladies and and church guys, but probably <laughs> traditionally ladies, uh, are, are pretty good at uh, coming up with up with a potluck food. Uh, certainly on the spot in rural New England. Yeah, I would say. definitely. Um, uh, we're gonna get. A little bit more personal right now. Uh, what is one spiritual practice that you have found meaningful for your faith journey? I would say the uh, both a personal and group practice of uh, Lectio Divina. Mm-hmm. And uh, even when I have a portion of scripture I'm kind of studying devotionally, if a particular portion of scripture strikes me, um, I may go back to that particular portion and sit with it uh, for a month or more. So uh, right now, um, even though I'm doing a study through the Psalms uh, chapter by chapter, uh, I've been sitting with a couple of verses that I've already have studied my way through. So my devotional time, I'll go back to uh, a verse that I've been sitting with now for probably three weeks. So I would say personal Lectio Divina, some journaling that accompanies that. What's God saying to me in this particular verse this morning, or even a particular phrase within the verse. So that's been a very good spiritual practice. Uh, Silence and solitude is another one, and that's hard for me to do because I'm on the extreme introvert side of the personality scale. I'm extremely comfortable with chaos, disorder, noise. So it takes discipline to be quiet with God, but that's also been a big discipline for me. Well, great. Um, we could listen to stories uh, and have over the last several years uh, from you, Dale, for 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 hours. Uh, somehow, in your retirement, um, I guess it wouldn't maybe be retirement then, but you're going to have to find a way to keep telling uh, your ministry yeah. stories because they're uh, they're amazing, uh, and we really appreciate them. They've certainly been uh, soul for our, our food for our souls. I think over yeah. the years as pastors, and so we really appreciate the time we've had uh, with you as our executive minister and uh, what you've meant for region, and also certainly for the voice that I think you can provide for, for rural churches. So thanks so much for, for sharing this time with us. Okay, thank you. That was a, a great conversation that we had with Dale Edwards. Uh, what do you think, Chris, is oh, one? What's one takeaway point that you want to keep with you? Um, 
for me, it's I, I do always appreciate this reminder that uh, in in rural situations, oftentimes uh, pastors uh, still function uh, as town chaplains, oftentimes, uh, and that uh, it, it that provides kind of a natural connection point. Um, it's definitely true in our location. Um, uh, there's really nowhere else to uh, to do a funeral um, besides that, at least inside. Um, besides that, our church or, the, or there's one other church in town, um, and so we 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 serve in that way very much more often. And I, I just was appreciated that reminder from, mm. from Dale. Uh, I just, to embrace the long conversations mm. at the post office, uh, that it's okay to, to take your time when you're doing those, um, just sort of town activities. I, I think it's, it's, it's actually getting your spouse to embrace the long or the fact yeah. that you're gone for a long time. Yeah. Those long conversations. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, I, I don't know if you've noticed from the podcast, I like to talk. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Kathleen never knows when I might come home from either the post office or the oh, fire meetings, store. Uh, fire, yeah, department uh, fire department meetings. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you just have to embrace uh, that kind of stuff uh, uh, quite often if you're going to yeah. serve in rural ministry. So absolutely. Okay. Right. Uh, one of the things we want to end, uh, sorry, not to me to step on you. Uh, yeah. One of the things we want to end uh, our, each podcast with is talking a little bit about something that happened in our context recently that uh, reminded us that we live in a rural location and reminded us maybe some of the, some of something about the heart of uh, what it's like to do ministry. So I told the story about teaching someone how to bake with sourdough, but uh, Chris is going to talk about her fiance. Cause there's another story that has to do with him. Yeah. So um, again, one of the things you, you very much get enmeshed in, in, in the lives of the people that you're, that you live near in a rural community. And so uh, we have chickens. Um, uh, we had a strict, a very strict no chicken policy. Um, and then uh, COVID there, was happened. A, there was a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, our kids no longer went to school for a while and are at the, she's in seventh grade now, but at the time fourth grader uh, wrote a persuasive essay as to why she should have chickens and we have chickens. <laughs> so yeah. Um, anyways, uh, so that's how we ended. We had chickens. We, we've got six chickens in, in April of 2020. Um, and they've been, they, the kids have, they've been good for the kids. I would say Absolutely. they've been a good responsibility maker mm-hmm. for them and, and they're not that bad. Um, most of the time. <laughs> and, yeah. And their eggs are, are tasty and, yeah. and things. So, but we had, um, we had six chickens originally, um, in the first year we did lose one chicken in the first year. Um, got sick. We don't really know what happened, but, uh, and, and it died, but, uh, but five chickens and chickens don't live forever anyway. But, uh, the second summer that we had chickens, um, we, they were unfortunately, uh, Mr. Fox found his way mm-hmm. into our chicken coop a couple different times. And we lost, uh, we lost four, four out of our five remaining chickens. Um, and so one of the, one of the things about having chickens is that they're not really, they're definitely not solo creatures. So we had one chicken left. Um, and we were, uh, this was, uh, last was early in the summer. I guess it was all actually really more like late spring. Um, we had one chicken left and we were kind of contemplating, what are we going to do? Um, there was definitely a part of me that would have been okay to say goodbye to having chickens, but, um, but we weren't sure. And so, uh, just talking about this with people at church as you do. And, uh, um, person who Kathleen just, uh, talked a lot about was, uh, learning how to do sourdough with, I was talking to him and he, uh, was saying, well, you know, I, I, we've got some chicks at the house and I don't really need that many chicks currently. And would you like four chicks? Uh, and I said, sure. Um, and then we didn't hear anything for several weeks. And I was a little confused as to what was going on. I think it was on. a couple of months. Probably, probably. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what, what I didn't realize was going on was that the chicks had hatched, but they were, they were basically free ranging in his yard. Um, and they may have 
partially belonged to his neighbor. So I don't know. It was it's uh, in this it, chickens in rural places. There's just a lot of them. So anyways, um, uh, one day uh, as we're getting ready to go to church, Sunday, uh, Sunday, Sunday yeah, morning, yeah, well, you know, that's when we have church. Um, <laughs> I get a text. Hey, I'm bringing the chickens today or the chicks today. And I was like, we oh, are not prepared, we're not really ready for chicks. I mean, we can be ready, but I thought we were getting like little tiny chicks like you get at the store when you buy them from tractor supply or something like that. And um, they're like a couple days old and they need a heat lamp. And no, thankful, no. thankfully we discovered uh, by the time church started that they were like 12 year old chicks. So they were basically week. Did I, did I say year? Yeah. Yeah. They weren't 12 year old chickens. Are <laughs> there people as old chickens. Yeah, definitely not 12, year old. 12 week old chickens. Uh, so they were um, not full grown yet, but they were well on their way and we were able to just incorporate them right away but um yeah uh you know when you when you pastor in a rural place um and we don't live in an overly agricultural area at all in southern vermont not really what drives our economy here is skiing but um but lots of people have chickens we have chickens lots of our oh, neighbors we have, have like three different neighbors with chickens yeah so um one of the things that will happen to you is uh, if you lose your chickens to a fox um uh, you may have a neighbor who says, "Hey, I'm, I'm hatching some chicks. You can have some." So yeah. uh, we now one thing that also happens when you get chicks from someone else, as opposed to tractor supply, sometimes you don't get four chickens; you get three chickens and a rooster. So we have a rooster now. Um, he is okay and uh, so far is surviving. Uh, we'll have to see how long he stays uh, reasonable. Uh, yeah. he's, he's pretty nice at the moment. So and uh, he 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 crows a lot, but he doesn't wake us up. So. Yeah, there yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, rural life. Uh, yeah. No, uh, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. Um, and we would appreciate if you share it with your friends because we want to be an encouragement to them as well. And if you have uh, a story you'd like to share with us about what it's like to live in rural life yes. or, or some neat things that your church is doing uh, ministry wise in rural context, uh, there's two ways you can share that with us. Basically, you can certainly send us an email and our email address is podcasts at fresh expressions. Dot com. Yeah, I made you say that because I was going to get it wrong. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. That's the Rural Renewal Podcast Community. Yes. Okay, good. Uh, 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 that you can just search for us on Facebook and be and feel free to join and uh, and where we're going to hopefully have a chance to talk about and share with one another some of these stories of rural ministry. All right. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Rural Renewal Podcast is a part of the Rural Renewal Summit, an initiative of Fresh Expressions happening April 21st and 22nd. The summit is a two-day digital event exploring new possibilities for small town churches. Learn more at freshexpressions.com slash summit. Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we live, eat, work, and play. By leveraging the creativity and endurance of the inherited church. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of the church that works in small towns, big cities, and everywhere in between, go to freshexpressions.com slash how to start. To connect with this podcast, you can email us at podcasts at freshexpressions.com. Rural Renewal Podcast is hosted by Kathleen Blackie and Chris Blackie. It is edited by Joel Limbowen and produced by Kathleen Blackie and Chris Morton. Our North American director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you've learned something or have been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Let us end with this prayer 
for town and rural area from the Book of Common Prayer. Lord Christ, when you came among us, you proclaimed the kingdom of God in villages, towns, and lonely places. Grant that your presence and power may be known throughout this land. Have mercy upon all of us who live and work in rural areas and grant that all the people may give thanks to you for food and drink and all other bodily necessities of life. Respect those who labor to produce them and honor the land and the water from which these good things come. All this we ask in your holy name. Amen. Amen.